0: Alright, well last week we began our series Finding Freedom with a bang. We said that freedom is something we all want. We want freedom from outside voices telling us how to live our life, where to go, what to do, when we can do things, and how to spend our time. And while we all intuitively understand that we don't want other people making those decisions for us, what we're after is something a little bit bigger. We also don't want our past dictating those things. We don't want debt to dictate those things. We don't want worry or anxiety or fear or depression or doubt to Telling us how to live our life. We want real freedom. We want real freedom. And and here's what we discussed last week. And the big kind of undercurrent of finding freedom is this that we don't find freedom for ourselves. We don't find freedom on our own. We follow God to the freedom that He has won for us. We don't find freedom on on our own. I don't find it on my own. You don't find it on your own. That none of us actually find freedom by ourselves, by our own intelligence, by our own reading, by our getting better at making decisions. I mean, those are all good things, but that isn't how we find our freedom. We find freedom by following God to the freedom that He has won for us. And so that's kind of the backdrop that that, that we're they're working with. We're talking through the Exodus story, and, and, and that's how we find freedom. We turn to God and we find the freedom that He has won for us and that He has always made available for us. We find our freedom That way. But last week we also pointed out this truth that we didn't, that we didn't really come back around to. And here's the second truth that we kind of, you know, are going to come back to this week. We all have a tendency to use our freedom to lose our freedom. We all have a tendency to use our freedom in a way that costs us our freedom. In other words, we're not very good at using our freedom to stay free. We're not very good at using our freedom once we get it. See, when you and I get freedom, just generally speaking, we're not great at living in freedom, maintaining our freedom, walking in a way that stays Free and doesn't end up enslaved by something or someone else, and doesn't end up with a past or debt or anxiety or worry that costs us our freedom in the here and now. But while we didn't really talk about that aspect last week, today, as we look to the Exodus story and as we as we, as we go forward in the Exodus story, we're going to start to talk about how we stay free, how we maintain our free. How how do we how we live? free, how we live in the freedom that God has given to us, how once we've found freedom, we don't turn around and give it right away. So last week, we left off the story of of the Exodus, we left off the story of Moses with God speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and God announced to Moses that he has heard the prayers and heard the cries of his people who were enslaved in Egypt, and he has seen their agony, and he's about to rescue them, Woo! Yay, God. Yay, God is about to do something. He's about to rescue them. He's about to bring them to their own land, which is gonna be a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. And I don't even know entirely why that would be good. It probably wouldn't be good today if you couldn't live in your city because it was just constantly mudslides caused by flowing milk. But back then, this was a way to talk about a very, very good fruitful, productive land. So God promises, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you to a good land. And if you're Moses at this point, this is amazing, wonderful news. You have wanted freedom for your people for over 40 years. You left because you were so passionate about freedom that you actually took someone's life. You have wanted this for a long time. And if they get freedom, you might actually get to see your family again. If they get freedom, you might get to see all of your people. This is wonderful, wonderful news. You're cheering on God's decision to get involved. You're excited that God is finally about to do what you've hoped someone would do for a long time. You can't wait to see how God pulls it off. And then we pick up the story with God still speaking in Exodus chapter 3. Here's what happens. Verse 10. Now, now, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And if you're at Moses, you're like, all the celebration goes, wait, uh, uh, what, 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 what now? What now? Um, uh, me? We're told that Moses actually responds that way. Moses protested to God. Who, "'Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? "'Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt? Who, "'Who am I? Who am I?' "'And God answered, I will be with you. "'And this is your sign, and this is your sign "'that I am the one who has sent you. "'When you have brought the people out of Egypt, "'you will worship God at this very mountain.'" See, God's response to Moses' question was funny and amazing and simple and beautiful. Who are you? I mean, Moses is going, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to go? Who am I to lead? Who am I? Who am I? And, and, and God kind of looks at him and goes, who, who are you? Who, who you are doesn't matter as much as the fact that I will be with you. And that's a big truth. You don't find freedom because of who you are. You find freedom because of who you're with. You don't find freedom because of who you are. You find freedom because of who you're with. See, this is a big deal. There were reasons that Moses was an obvious choice to lead the people out of slavery and into the future that God had for them. Moses was incredibly well-educated. People who had been enslaved for generation after generation after generation after generation would need an educated person to lead them forward. Moses, here on this mountain, he was having an experience with God. And for people to understand and know the God who claimed that they were his people, they would need someone who had an experience with God that they had not had. Moses was physically strong. I mean, he had strength enough to kill a man with his bare hands, which in, in those days, I mean, he was he was something someone who actually had the strength of a leader. He had escaped Egypt and traveled to the mountain of God, and they would need a leader who could take them on the same path. Who, could, who can lead them to escape and get to the place that God wanted them to go. There were a bunch of reasons that Moses made sense as the person to go and lead the people out of Egypt and into the future that God had for them and lead them out of slavery. And God focused on none of them. God focused on none of them because at the end of the day, what God knew that Moses would learn was that God that, that God being with Moses was what would make Moses worth following. That God being with Moses was what made Moses special. God being with Moses is what would allow the people to find freedom. See, here's the thing. Your level of freedom, your ability to walk in freedom and live in freedom, it will not be determined by your intelligence. It will not be determined by your connectedness. It will not be determined by who your family is or your ability to, to figure life out. Your freedom is determined by your proximity to God. Your freedom and my freedom will always be determined, will always be calculated based on our proximity to God. Your freedom, my freedom, it is much more determined by our willingness to stay close to God and to be influenced by God's leadership and his guiding hand than anything else in this life. Without proximity to God in your life and without proximity to God in my life, we may find freedom occasionally. We may find moments of freedom. We may find freedom temporarily, but you'll never walk it out consistently. And for us to stay living in freedom, we have to stay close to God. We have to be with God like God is with us. story goes on in verse 13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And this is actually a really really great important question. Moses is going like, "Hey, if I go back to these people and say God talked to me and they say what's his name and they're expecting to hear Yahweh, but your name is Bill, you know, like that like they, like I'll get laughed out of the room. So I need to know who you are. I know you're telling me that these are your people, but who are you? What is your name?" God replied to Moses, "I am who I am," or the word Yahweh. "Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go, now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then God told him this, The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. Then God says this, But I know, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. So God gives Moses an incredibly detailed strategy that he has already worked out. In other words, Moses doesn't need to figure out the plan for the people to reach freedom. Moses has to work God's plan and let God work out the details. Here's the plan. Ask for a short vacation. Ask for a short vacay. Time to go off into the wilderness, a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship our God and what's weird about this is it seems it seems like this is a ruse, it seems like this is a cover, something we're gonna ask for, but we're actually gonna do something differently, which almost makes it seem like God is suggesting to Moses that God that Moses should tell a lie, which is weird and which is confusing, and I'm not even entirely sure it's true, but that's the way it seems throughout the story. Of, of, of God's instructions here. Then you have the fact that God tells Moses to go to the king of Egypt, not to Pharaoh. This is kind of interesting. God in the story of the Exodus never uses the word Pharaoh. God tells Moses to go to the king of Egypt. And here's why. It's this funny little thing that God is doing. Um, God is real God. God is real God, and at that time, the word Pharaoh was synonymous with the fact that the king of Egypt was a god. It was a title that connected him to being a god, that this man was a god and real god refuses to play along with that real god who is actually god does not need to play along with human word games he's like okay he's like like i'm real god he's a little g imaginary god i'm not going to acknowledge that he has any connection to god cuz he doesn't he is a little g self important self proclaimed God, and I am not going to play along with that. Real God is not a sucka, and real God will suffer no fools. That's the line here. That's the thing that we all need to understand, that when we make ourselves self-important, God still recognizes that and goes, no, you're not that important. I am the real God. I am the only God that matters. And then God says, but here's the thing. I know the king of Egypt. I know that he will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces his hand. And then God says, by the way, I happen to have a mighty hand and I will use it to strike the king and to strike the Egyptians. And I, and I just want you to know, Moses, this is how we are going to go. And when things are done, they will be begging for you to leave. Real God says, I just so happen to have a mighty hand and I will use it to force his hand. And this is a good reminder. This, this whole thing is a good reminder. The path to your freedom is not a mystery. God holds the map. The path to your freedom, the path to my freedom, it's not a mystery. God holds the the map. See, God knows the way. God points the way. God leads the way. God has the plan, and He provides for you everything that you'll need every step of the way. See, we act like life is, a, is mysterious, and there's a lot of ways and a lot of options to help us figure out how to live life and how to live free. And it reminds me, when I, when I think about it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with, uh, with with one of my mentors in ministry back a number of years ago when I was when I was finishing up college and and and, and, lear- and learning a lot about how, how ministry was to be done and how to be good at, at ministry and I was having a conversation with one of my mentors and he, and he asked me this question. He said, how many different ways are there to lead a healthy youth ministry? And I remember I said, well, I think there's probably a lot of different ways depending on you know, where it is and, and, and what state it's in and how big the city is and how big the church is and all these kinds of, thing, all, all kind of things. And I'll never forget after he let me talk about how many different ways there are to lead, to, to lead a healthy youth ministry, he stopped and he said, well, you're, you're actually wrong. There's three. And, and then for the next about 20 minutes, he sat and he unpacked how the ver- he, and he said, he said this, the, the variables confuse us. The variables distract us from the fact that at the core of it, life is fairly simple. At the core of it, health is simple. That healthy things always kind of look and feel the same. He said, so what you do is you pick one of these three ways and you lead it well. And you do everything you can and you shape and you make a plan and you work the plan and you work the playbook and you work the playbook. But these healthy things always look the same. There's only a few paths to health and to, and to freedom. And the reason I, I, this makes me think of that is when it comes to living in freedom, we like to think that it's so many different options. And Well, this it just depends on the variables and the variables and the variables. And I'll just say that the variables confuse us and distract us from the fact that health and freedom almost always looks the exact same way. There's only one path to real freedom. And God has the path and God has the plan and God has the playbook. So it's our responsibility not to try to figure it out through all the variables, but to lean into God despite all the variables in life and follow his plan and his map to real freedom. Story goes on. Story goes on and says this, in cha- starting in chapter four. But Moses protested again. So this, so, so, this, so this begins, so we, ha- we have the plan from God. And in chapter four, we start to see that some frustration on Moses' part, some questions on Moses' part that I think all of us can identify with, that I think all of us have felt at some point in our lives. And so here's what it happens in, starting in chapter 4. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? So who's Moses concerned about? Moses is concerned about Moses at this point. What if they won't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? What if they say, God never met with me? And so verse two, it says this. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back because scripture wanted to record that Moses was scared of snakes. That's a great thing. So Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out your hand, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out, I would imagine kind of daintily like, Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this side, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now, Put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. And then the Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn turn to blood on the ground. See, Moses, Moses is worried about his own credibility and God has an answer for that. Moses is worried about his own credibility. Will the people believe me? And God gives Moses something that he can't do to prove that someone greater sent him. Something that is far beyond his own power or his own ability. God gives him something that he can't do as proof that someone greater sent him. See, Moses can't turn a staff into a snake back and forth. Moses can't do that. Only God's power could do something like that. Moses can't turn his hand into a diseased hand and heal it back and forth and do that as a miraculous thing. Moses can't do that. Only God's power could do that. Moses can't turn water into blood. Only God's power could do that. The sign was a proof to people who may doubt. It's proof that God can and will accomplish his purpose. Of leading to freedom. Verse 10, we're told this, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses is concerned. In other words, Moses is concerned because Moses has a speech impediment. Moses doesn't speak well. Moses gets confused. Moses gets tongue-tied. Moses doesn't get the words out right. And in his mind, he can't go speak to Pharaoh because of this imperfection. And I love this point. God, God says, I don't need you perfect. I need you willing. I don't need you perfect. I need you willing. And God reminds him in this moment, hey, you know who makes all those things? You know who's ultimately in control of of all those things? You know who makes eyes? You know who makes ears? You know who makes a mouth? Me. And if I want you to speak, I can correct any impediment and any imperfection to make you perfectly able to accomplish whatever I want for you to accomplish. And so I don't need you to be perfect. I need you to be willing. I need you to be surrendered. I need you to put everything that you have in my hands and watch what only I can do with whatever you have to offer. I don't need you perfect. I need you surrendered. I don't need you perfect. I need you willing. Story goes on in verse 13, we're told this, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. And, 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 this, is, and this, is that, this is the real issue. This, this is where all the other protestation came from. This is all where all the other pleading came from. This is this is those were all mini excuses masking the real issue. God, please send anyone else. I want what you want but I don't want to play the part that you're asking me to play. Isn't that true for so many of us? I want what you want. I just don't want to play the part that you're asking me to play. I'm scared to go back to Egypt. I think it's risking my life. I don't want to walk back into that palace. I have no reason to think the people of Israel will believe me. I don't want to face my past back there. Please do what you're going to do, but do it through someone else. And as we're told in verse 14, that says this, then the Lord became angry with Moses. And I think most of us would become a little angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now, which we don't know if God gave him a glimpse, but his brother actually was on the way to meet him and on the way to find him in the desert at that very moment. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say, which is either absolutely amazing, and I'm going to go with that this is absolutely amazing, but in the way this works in most of the world, this is forming a dangerous game of telephone. I'll speak to you, you speak to him, he'll speak to them. It's like, are the words going to get there properly? We don't know, but God worked, and God moved, and God's words got to the people. Then he says this, and take your shepherd's staff with you, and use it to perform the miraculous signs that I have shown you. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please, Let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. And if you're Moses at that moment, you're going, you know what, God, you probably would have got a lot more agreement out of me at the bush if you would have told me that at the bush. If you would have told me that the people that were upset with me have all died, I I, I would have been a lot more willing to go. Like you could have told me that at the bush. And God's like, I didn't tell you at the bush because I wanted you surrendered regardless. And so Moses agrees to God's plan. Moses agrees to play his part in accomplishing God's purposes for his people. And because of Moses' decision to be willing in this moment to go play his part, to go fulfill God's purpose, he found freedom and he helped an entire nation find freedom. And here's the whole bottom line for today. And here's the thing I want to make sure we understand. As we talk about living out freedom and talk about living free, walking free, staying free, maintaining our freedom, here's the entire thing. You will live in God's freedom when you live out God's purposes. You'll live in God's freedom when you live out God's Purposes. Why did Moses find freedom? Because he was willing to answer God's call. Why did Moses live in freedom? Because he stepped up to fulfill and to walk out God's purposes. The very reasons that he was alive, the very reasons that he was born, the very reasons that he was made in the womb by God himself, the very reasons that his life had been protected as an infant, the same things that we were all created and that we were all made for, that Moses stepped up to fulfill God's purposes for a people and in his own life, allowed him to live in freedom and not just have found it one time, but to live in freedom consistently. See, Rick Warren, the author of a book called Purpose Driven Life, he wrote this incredible phrase that I just wanna share with you. He said this, you were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. You were created by God, you were created for God. You were created by God for the purposes that God has created all, all along and that God is meant for all along. You were made by God and for God, and until we come to terms with that, life will never make sense. Life will never make sense, and you'll never walk in the freedom that you were created for. You'll have moments, but it won't be consistent. But when you step into the purposes that you were made for by God, freedom is consistently yours. So really quickly, let me can I talk about what the what the what the purposes of God, what the timeless purposes of God are? Here's here's the five purposes of God that you see throughout scripture. That you see throughout scripture throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, these are the five things that we see we were all created for. We are created for worship. You were created for worship. I was created for worship. That you were made to know God and to be in awe of Him. See, worship is our lifestyle of recognition that God is in control, that He has power, that He has authority, that He has a love that we can't even begin to understand. We, it's, a, it's a lifestyle of recognition of who He is. And it's our moments of worship together as we sing and as we clap and as we raise our hands and as we get emotional, as we remember God's goodness and His love and His grace toward us and what he has done for us. You were created, every single one of us, no matter who you are today, you were created for a lifestyle and for moments of worship. You were also created for discipleship. You were created to grow closer to God. You were made to not just know God and recognize his authority, but to grow closer closer to Him, to develop and to build a relationship with Him. This happens as you study God's Word to know His heart. This happens as you through prayer as you spend time communicating with God. This happens as you give and you practice generosity and you learn that generosity is at the heart of who God is and how He operates. It happens as we get closer to other people who are striving to grow closer and know God and follow God as well, which is part of the next purpose that we were all created for. See, we were created for worship and for discipleship, but we are also all created for fellowship. You were made by God to experience real community with other people who are close to God. You were made to know others and to be known by others. You were made for real life-giving relationships. You were made to know and grow with other people who could help you in life and help you to know God better. You were made to live out everything that Jesus taught us to do in community and in relationship with other people who are trying to follow Jesus too. You were made for fellowship. You were made for worship. You were made for discipleship. You were made for fellowship. And then these next two are really important because those first three things kind of have a lot to do with, with what we get and, 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 and our own heart. But here's the thing. These next two remind us that God's purposes for us aren't just for us. They're also for the benefit of other people. See, you were made for worship. You were made for discipleship. You were made for fellowship, but you were also made for evangelism you were also made for evangelism. You were made to help others know Jesus, every single one of us. You were made to spread the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection, the forgiveness and the grace of God, the hope that we have through Jesus, the peace with God that's available because of what Jesus did for us. And when it comes to this, so many of us think, well, I'm, oh man, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. That never comes naturally to me. I have no idea how to start or what to do. And here's the thing. In this way, God looks at all of us and says, hey, I don't need you to be perfect at it. I don't need it to come naturally for you. I just need you to be willing that when a conversation arises or whether you have a relationship that has influence, that you would use that influence to help someone know Jesus. You do not have to be perfect, but we all need to be surrendered and willing to let God work through us in this way so that people can come to know the wonderful Savior that we have come to know. And then all of us, finally, all of us, were made for service. You were made to serve others. I was made to serve others. We were all made to serve others. You were made to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your influence and whatever you have for the good of others. You were made to to see a need and to meet a need. You were made to be aware of ways to help and then to find a way that you can help. You were made to be a blessing to the world around you. You were made so that your giftedness could become a gift to others and ultimately a gift to the world so that what God has given you doesn't stop with you, but it becomes a blessing to those around you. You were made for service. See, that's the five things that we were all made for. That's the five timeless purposes of God, that we were made for worship. We were made for, for, for discipleship, to know God more. We were made for fellowship, to, know, to be known by others and to know others and to grow in community. We were made for evangelism, to spread the good news of Jesus. And we were made to serve others. And here's why that's so important for us to know as we talk about it first and as we talk about living in freedom and staying in freedom. If it's true that we'll live in God's freedom as we live out God's purposes, we need to know what God's purposes are. And the reason that's so important is if you ever find yourself wondering how to use your freedom in a way that keeps you free, you take a step towards fulfilling one of God's purposes. We can do that every single day. If you ever find yourself like, I just don't know exactly what to do next. I don't know exactly where to go next. I don't know exactly what to say next. Every single one of us can take a step towards fulfilling one of God's purposes in our life. You take a step towards a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of recognition that God is in control and God has ultimate authority and that God can be trusted with our lives. You take a step toward to build a habit that helps you know God more. To, to build some habit, whether it be reading, reading the Bible or, or developing a life of prayer or developing a habit of generosity that we all can take a step towards building a habit that gets us closer to following Jesus and to knowing God more. You take a step towards building connection with other believers. That for, that, Let me talk about right now where so many of us feel isolated. This can be really important. That whether it's connecting every Sunday online or whether it's connecting somewhere or reaching out to someone within the church or reaching out to someone that knows Jesus, that every single one of us, we can take steps towards community in some way and connection with other believers in some way. And for many of us who feel right now like we're lacking purpose, this might be just one of the best things that we can do to figure out a way to take a step toward, back toward community and back toward connection. You can take a step that helps people that you care about find and follow Jesus. Every one of us can do that. We can do that in online ways. We can do that by sharing these videos. We can do that in, in a number of ways by sending messages to people and letting them know that God loves them, that even if they don't care about God, God cares about them. There are so many ways that we can do this. And we're all made that we can take a step to serve someone else. And when we take those steps, in doing so, you will find freedom and you will continue to live in it. Now, one more verse as we close. Let me, let me finish out this chapter, finish out this story. It says this in verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons and he put them on a donkey and he headed back to the land of Egypt in his hand. And this is, this is such a baller phrase. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. And, and I, I don't know how important this is, but it feels important. That at one point, God said to Moses, what's that in your hand? he said, this is my staff. And when he goes and when he's surrendered and he's willing before God, the staff is no longer Moses's. The staff is the staff of God. And he's heading back to Egypt. And that's where we're going to pick up the story next week. But here's one final thought. A single decision of obedience can change the world. I'm I'm becoming more and more convinced that it's one of the few things in the world that ever can change the world. It did for Moses and it did for the Israelites that one man's decision to, to obey God and to be willing and to be surrendered to God's plan and to be and to surrender to God's purposes it changed the course of history one man's decision to obey to be willing to surrender to God's plans and his purposes it brought freedom for him and it brought freedom for hundreds of thousands of people who would follow him on the path to freedom see here's the thing who knows what hangs in the balance of your decision to be willing before God. Who, who knows what hangs in the balance of your decision to follow God's plan and to follow God's purposes? I mean, who, who knows what hangs in the balance for you? Chances are you're not Moses. Chances are you're not gonna lead hundreds of thousands of people to find freedom. You, it, it, it's gonna probably for you be something smaller than that. It might just be your family. Your family matters. It might just be your future family. And that matters big time. That your future family could look far different and far freer and far more connected with God than the family that you came from. It might just, 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 just be your entire workplace that everyone that you know could actually come to know God because of you stepping into what God has called you to. It might just be your entire Zoom study group that comes to know God in some way because of the light that you shine. It might just be everyone in your grad program. It might just be everyone on your kid's soccer team and all of the parents on your kid's soccer team. I don't, I don't know what it looks like for you. and Who knows what hangs in the balance? But something hangs in the balance of you stepping into being the person that God wants you to be and surrendering and being willing to be used by God in his plans and for his purposes. Something in someone's future and someone in something's eternity hangs in the balance of you stepping up to play your part to see what God can do, your decision to be willing, to live walking out God's purposes, it might just change the world. Let me read it for you. Today, as we close, for some of you, you need to make a, a, a decision today. As we talked about that you don't find freedom because of who you are. You find freedom because of who you're with. For some of us, we need to make a decision right now that we're going to be with Jesus Christ that we're gonna find freedom through him. And today you can make that decision by simply accepting Jesus Christ as your savior, accepting the freedom that he won for you at the cross when he laid down his life for you, and accepting the freedom and the new life that he has for you that you can walk in freedom because he walked out of an empty grave. You can make that decision right now. If you'd like, we have a link that we're placing in the comments and you can click that link to let us know that you're making that decision, that you're gonna trust in Jesus Christ and that you're gonna begin a relationship with him today and we'll get in contact with you and we'll follow up with you and we would love to talk and pray with you but right now let's pray together heavenly father thank you so much for who you are thank you for your love for us thank you that you have created us on purpose thank you that every single one of us we were created by you for you and for the things that you created us for. So God, help us to do that. Help us to live the, for the purposes that you've created us for. Help us to, to live and to take a step of worship, to take a step of discipleship, to know you more. Help us to live taking steps towards fellowship and community with other believers. Help us to live taking steps to serve other people and help us ultimately live in a way that points and to take steps that point people to you. And God, thank you that as we, as we take steps towards your purposes, we'll live in your freedom. Help us to do that in Jesus' name we pray, amen.